Hi friends, welcome back to Nate Talks to his friends about Jesus. Alright, so last time when we left off, there was basically a riot in the temple. With some uptight Jews wanting to literally smash Paul to pieces. I, I think it's interesting that we can get so caught up in the way that that we think things should be, that we're willing to tear another human being apart because they disagree. It's kind of weird, man. Anyway, the local cops, which are Roman soldiers, bust in and grab the guy who looks like is causing the riot, Paul. But he says, guys, 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 it's not what you think. And right off the bat, this guy is not what they expect. He's articulate in several languages. He's a free Roman citizen. And and he's saying, guys, this is all just a misunderstanding. Let me talk to the people and let me clear this up. And so they're convinced a little bit. And they let him step out um, kind of on a porch overlooking this uh, quad where everybody's gathering and is kind of going nuts. And he speaks out in a loud voice in the Hebrew tongue, which probably means he's speaking Aramaic so that everybody in the temple that's there in Jerusalem can pretty much understand, except for the Roman soldiers, but he's not talking to them right now. And so he says in Aramaic, he's like, guys, listen, I'm a Jew. I grew up in Tarsus. I studied under the guidance of Gamaliel, who is a profoundly respected Pharisaical scholar. And he's like, and guys, I was hardcore. I went about persecuting those who followed the way. Still one of my favorite phrases for a Christian. Dude, I put people in jail for following Jesus. I beat them bloody. Heck, I even watched as a Christian leader was killed. Then, when I was traveling up to Damascus to do the same thing there, bam, I'm struck senseless by this beam of light and I hear a voice say, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And and I don't know if you get what a bomb this is. Like they asked Jesus, like, are you the Messiah? And he kind of skirts around it. But, But Paul is straight out saying, Jesus of Nazareth is an exalted God. And so Paul says, I, I asked him what I should do. And Jesus told me to go to Damascus and the next step would be revealed. And sure enough, when I, I got there, a citizen named Ananias came and blessed me and I could see again. And then Jesus commissioned me through Ananias to be baptized in Christ's name and to go out and witness what I'd seen. And that's just what I've been doing, witnessing of Jesus. <laughs> well, then those people in the temple just lose their minds as he talks about Jesus being God. And they start screaming, tearing their clothes, throwing dirt. And the police chief, the Roman soldier, sees this, these people going nuts and, and it <laughs> doesn't know what Paul just said to provoke them. And since he doesn't speak Aramaic, and so he tells his guards, beat the truth out of him. I love living, not living in the ancient world personally. But Paul says, dude, you can't beat me. I'm a freeborn Roman citizen. And the guy's like, oh, this day just gets worse and worse. So the, the chief soldier calls for the leaders of the Jews to come to a hearing the next day to sort out the truth. Well, the next day at the hearing, Paul gets up and says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. 
And some guy in the crowd says, punch that sucker in the mouth for that lie. And somebody does just that. They straight up sucker punch Paul in the face. And Paul is pissed. And he says, God is going to smite you, you hypocrite, referring to the guy that said to punch him. Someone is like, how dare you talk to the high priest that way? And Paul's like, sorry, I didn't know that was a high priest. He's kind of a punk. And the law says that we shouldn't speak evil of the high priest. But he quickly pivots. He's witty, he's quick, he's clever, he's always been this way. And he perceives that, that in this trial audience, there are both Sadducees and Pharisees in the mix. So he decides to turn them against one another. And here's what he says. He says, guys, I am a Pharisee. I'm the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, am I called in question? Now, since the Pharisees believe in the resurrection and the Sadducees don't, this is an instant bomb. So some Pharisees stand up and shout, We find no evil in this man! But if a spirit or an angel has spoken unto him, let us not fight against God. <laughs> well, they're, they're just about to riot again and pull Paul to pieces in the process. So the chief of police pulls Paul out of there and is like, Well, that was a big waste of time getting to the bottom of things. And so Paul's put in jail for the night while the chief of police figures out what is really going on. Meanwhile, there's a group of 40 plus Jews who are like, we're not going to get any justice this way. And so they enter into a Gadianton-like pact not to eat or drink till they kill Paul. Well, Paul's nephew catches wind of the plot, warns the chief of police And the chief of police is like, not on my watch, suckas. So he gets 200 soldiers, 200 soldiers to ride with Paul. And they take him in the middle of the night, 74 miles north to Caesarea, kind of the the Roman governor capital at this time. So after a good long night of rioting, Paul finds himself safely in the custody of Roman governor Felix. Unfortunately for Paul, Felix, who has ruled Judea for the past eight years, which is honestly a decently long time for this sort of appointment, is famous for two things. Number one, cruelty, and number two, accepting bribes. For example, when Felix gets angry at the then high priest Jonathan, he persuades one of Jonathan's best friends to murder Jonathan for a huge payoff. It's Gaddy Anton, I'm telling you. So the friend gets a bunch of petty crooks, they hide knives in their sleeves, mingle with the crowd at the temple on a feast day, and then stab Jonathan in the chaos. And under Felix's protection, nobody is, nobody is ever brought up on charges. So yeah, that's who slash what Paul is working with here. So Felix reads the chief, police chief in Jerusalem's report um, that basically says, I can't find anything that this guy has done wrong but his presence sure does make the Jewish leaders lose their minds. Therefore, Felix decides to hold another hearing, and five days later, Ananias, the high priest, descended, remember this means he travels north, with the elders and a certain orator or lawyer named Tertullus. Now, the name Ananias, the high priest, might sound familiar to you, but this is like the the guy Ananias that was high priest um, from Jesus's trial is a very different high priest. He was high priest back when Jesus was a kid from 86 to 8015. 
And then he's the father-in-law to um, Joseph ben Caiaphas, who helped get Jesus crucified when Joseph ben Caiaphas was high priest. We're like seven high priests later at Ananias, son of Nedabaeus. And just as a side note, we're about 15 years away from Jerusalem getting completely destroyed by the Romans. Just side note here. Anyway, the, the hired lawyer Tertullus sucks up to Felix for a bit and then claims that Paul is a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all Jews throughout the Roman world and a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. Note that he doesn't call them Christians. That would be honorable. Instead, he, he's making it sound like it's a cult for rednecks. Uh, he's like, this guy has also profaned the temple whom we took and we would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain came upon us with great violence, took him out of our hands. Then Paul stands up and is like, I was in Jerusalem to worship in the temple. They didn't find me in the temple disputing with anybody. I wasn't saying anything, neither raising up the people in any synagogue in the city. They can't prove anything they accuse me with. But I'll tell you one thing. I confess this freely. I worship the God of my fathers, and they call it heresy. The only thing they don't like is that I proclaim the reality of the resurrection. And Felix is like, this is a church thing? You tried to kill this guy over a church thing? Get out of here. No, no, seriously. Get out of here. He throws Tertullus, the chief priest Ananias, out. And, and he's like, okay, you're, you're innocent. So he doesn't do anything to Paul, but he also doesn't let him go because it takes more than innocence to grease the wheels of Felix's justice, if you know what I mean. And Paul gets it, but he doesn't pay the desired bribe, so he languishes in jail for two years. After two years, Felix is finally replaced by a new governor named Festus. And right when Festus gets into town, the high priest comes to talk to him about Paul. Now, this is a completely new high priest, Ishmael ben Fabius. And since this office changes hands regularly to the highest bidder, they're a bunch of corrupt hypocrites. But he does agree with the last high priest that somebody should kill Paul. So this new high priest asks Festus to send Paul to Jerusalem, fully intending to jump him uh, while he travels and murder him. For sure, like this is God's chosen representative on earth who communes with him in the Holy of Holies. Right. Well, Festus is like just got to town. And he's like, okay, maybe later after I talk to him, I'll send him to Jerusalem. I don't know. So a few days later, once Festus is settled in, he sits down with Paul and is like, dude, the Jews have nothing but bad things to say about you. And I'm considering sending you back to Jerusalem for a trial. But Paul knows that that prison transportation will for sure result in him getting shanked. So he says, I invoke my right as a Roman citizen to be tried by Caesar. Festus is like, dang, that escalated quickly. Well, I guess stick around and I'll arrange some transportation to Rome. Meanwhile, Herod Agrippa II comes to visit with his wife, sister Bernice. Yeah, you heard me right. Anyway, this is Herod Agrippa's son. 
this is the, the same Herod that killed James, the apostle, and then died shortly thereafter from poisoning or God smiting, we don't know. And this son, Herod Agrippa II, rules an area northeast of the Sea of Galilee, and he is visiting Festus and getting to know him because he oversees the, the temple because he's at least nominally Jewish and Festus isn't. So they'll have to coordinate it a bit because the temple is in Festus's territory. Anyway, so he's coming to visit. And honestly, Herod Agrippa II and Bernice, that's a weird one, man. Herod by this point is 33 and has never been married, never had any lovers that we know of. And Bernice, who is 32, has been married three times by now, the first time at 13. And it is largely believed that Bernice is acting the part of Herod's wife. And that's taboo at the time. Like, you can marry your cousin, you can marry your uncle, but the sister's off limits. But the relationship seems to continue in this vein until AD 67, when General Vespasian shows up with his 31-year-old son Titus to destroy Jerusalem. And Bernice somehow uh, wheedles her way into becoming Titus's mistress. And when the generals go back to Rome, Herod and Bernice follow. It's, it's weird, people. It, it's straight crazy. Anyway, Festus, Herod, and Bernice are chatting. And Festus is like, hey, you want something to do? There's this crazy guy left over in jail from Felix who's asked for a trial in Rome, and I'm supposed to write up charges, but I have no idea what to write. You guys want to listen in to the interview? And they're like, sure. I think it's equivalent to ancient Netflix or something like that. So they, they sit down together and Paul tells them his story. He says, I grew up a hardcore Pharisee, fought against any threats to the faith, especially against followers of Jesus. Then I had this moment where I saw Jesus. I'm telling you, he's alive. And this knowledge has changed my life. I'm here to tell you that the promised Messiah has already come. The true king is not what we expected. He died. He's raised from the dead. And I have dedicated my life to spreading that message. Festus hears this and is like, Paul, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Agrippa, for his part, says, Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And even though um, he thinks he's crazy, Festus is like, Paul, there's no real reason for you to be in jail, but you asked for a trial with Caesar, so my hands are kind of tied here. So Festus arranges for Paul to sail for Rome under the protection slash guard of a, a soldier from Caesarea. And they, they take off with the very detail-oriented Luke telling us about every gas station that they stopped in at. Now, I didn't know this before uh, I was studying this, but did you know that the Mediterranean can get hurricane-like cyclone storms in the late fall and into winter? Uh, really, the, there's, there's usually a couple per year. Generally, no, nothing more than a Category 1 hurricane, but they're the real thing. And Paul and his boys have the misfortune of running headlong into one of these bad boys, and they are tossed on the sea for weeks until they finally run aground on the island of Malta. Now, once on Malta, they are building a, a fire, and Paul gets bitten by a snake. 
Now, Luke sees the fact that he doesn't swell up. Remember, Luke is a physician, so he's looking for the typical outcomes he, he thinks will happen with a poisonous snake. He's not from Malta, mind you. But Paul has no adverse effects to the, the snake bite. And Luke is like, it's a miracle. And remember, Luke loves himself some Paul for good reason. And he's really excited about this fact. Truth is, there aren't any poisonous snakes on Malta and never have been any poisonous snakes on Malta. So the fact that Paul is bitten and nothing happens is pretty logical. Okay, I don't find that to be the miracle. Here's what I think is the miracle. The leader in Malta, the the government leader, he has a severe fever and an intestinal infection accompanied by bloody diarrhea. It's called dysentery. And Paul walks in and heals him, something that would have killed him almost certainly at the time. Heck, everyone that is sick in Malta, he heals. It's this clear evidence that God's power is on earth, that God is acting amongst the chaos that we see, that Jesus has power here over Satan, and he has commissioned Paul and us to be creators within this chaos. Well, they they spend three months there on Malta, and then Paul and his guards catch a ride on a ship from Egypt that has wintered in Malta. And in his typical detail-oriented way, they catch, um, Luke tells us that the ship's name was Castor and Pollux. And I don't even know why he lists this, but it got me curious. And apparently these are twin half-brothers from mythology. Now you heard me write twin half-brothers. Apparently, that's a thing in real life. I I had no idea. Anyway, in modern times, Castor and Pollux are are known to us by the astrological sign Gemini. But really, this is not important at all for us salvation-wise. But what you see here is Luke giving you every single detail possible, which more than anything really points to this being authentic reporting rather than fiction. His story reads like a report, which honestly should make us excited about his same account about the resurrected Jesus. It's a report. It's real. Jesus lives. Luke is simply telling you the facts. Anyway, Paul and his friends make it to Italy. They start walking to Rome. And again, Paul, excuse me, again, Luke tells us about every pit stop they make, every hotel they stay in, the whole shebang. And then the story ends with Paul in jail again. And the story just ends. And we don't know for sure what happens to Paul after this. The story is over. And for someone like Paul, who is so prolific at writing, uh, the fact that there is no more writing is kind of an ominous sign. Tradition holds that Paul is going to be murdered by Roman authorities, but some believe that he got out and went to Spain. I don't know. I know Paul is in jail right then when the story ends and he doesn't really want to be. But instead of whining and feeling sorry for himself, Paul gets to work to sharing the hopeful message about Jesus' redeeming work. He talks about the fact that Jesus rescued us by becoming like us. And that because of this, there is no more fear of death, no more fear of change, because Jesus will resurrect us. It is real. And he writes letters to the same effect. I think this approach to life is meaningful. 
We waste so much time saying, I don't like this. I want things to be different so I can be comfortable. We're so mad when people act, don't act the way we want them to act. Just stop. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a ticket out of discomfort. The expectation that we shouldn't suffer is satanic. Instead, I'm inviting you with Paul to accept your situation and work within it. What can you do now? How can you be a present creator? A current image bearer of God. A present day light bringer. A latter day saint. To do so, you need to believe that you're really okay. Not because of anything you can do, but because the redemption of Jesus is real. Then get out of your head and into life. Live real life now. Be fully faithed in Christ's redemption and go out and do some good wherever you find yourself. Go on. Try it. It's honestly pretty fun. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.